Can we thank Michaela? Uh, give her a hand for sharing her story with us. And, you know, that is the heart. Um, that's our heart as a team. That's where I want to be. I want all of us to, to be in this place of wrestling to the ground like Michaela is. What does it actually look like to do what Jesus did? And that's why we're in um, this teaching series um, of what would Jesus actually do. And I'm going to ask uh, you to know what to bring up that first slide. Um, this is, this is um, we, we are going through uh, the gospel of John. So uh, just take your Bibles. Let's go there. John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, we see the third sign, what the Apostle John calls the third sign or miracle. And in this idea of miracle, <clears throat> it is G, or John, the Apostle, is saying sign. So whenever you read sign, no miracle. The miracle that we're going to see is the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And the reason why um, John is telling us that this is a sign, the reason why he uses the word sign is because he wants us to understand that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he really is the Savior of the world. That's why he does this. Today, as we walk away, here's what I'm hoping that we all will walk away with, and that is what you do demonstrates what you actually believe. And we know this is true because you have said this. I thought I could trust you. I thought you said you loved me. Right? We have said those kinds of things, and this is what they are demonstrating. They told us one thing, and, they, and we believe that, but their actions demonstrated something else. And how many Christ followers say that they believe one thing, but our actions actually demonstrate something else? So let's watch this as it comes up in John uh, chapter 5. We're, we're going to start in verse number 1. After this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So now Jesus is in uh, Jerusalem. He's at the temple. He says, by the sheep gate. Uh, John is very specific. I mean, so detailed. By uh, the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. And when um, I was there in Israel, I got to see the, that actual place. Um, and what, if you look at the picture to your right, this is down there. That's the pool of Bethesda. Uh, those stairs, I don't know if you can tell by the the um, the picture, but the stairs, that, those are stairs that's all, all over uh, grown with green. Those are actually first century stairs. These are stairs that Jesus actually walked on, which is just so cool. And then you see part of one of the colonnades broken in pieces over there. So uh, this, you know, what, what, what we are reading is about a real place, real people, real time. And John is making sure that we have all those details. Now, here's the big deal about this, that there was this belief that this pool of Bethesda offered some kind of healing. That's what people uh, thought in those days. And it said within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame and paralyzed. One man was uh, who uh, one man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. Now, that's a long time, and maybe some of you aren't even 38 years old yet, right? And that's like more than your lifetime. That's, that's how long. That, let that sink in. 38 years is a long time. And in verse number 6, when Jesus saw him, the man who was disabled for 38 years, lying there, realized he had already been there a long time and said, Do you want to get well? 
So I want us to look at these two things. I want us to notice in this lens of what would Jesus actually do. Notice that Jesus saw him. Right? We talk about this often around here, about the one. Pray for the one. See, Jesus is living that kind of life. He's, because there are many people all around that. We know that later on in the story we'll hear the, the disabled man will say, I, there's too many people around here. I can't get into the pool first because there's so many people around. Jesus walks by many people who needed healing. But he noticed the one. There was something about that one that Jesus was drawn to. What about the one in your life? What about the person? Right? We challenge you all the time. Pray for the one on each day. Pray for one person that God will bring across your path that he knows that you, that he's put you there in their life for a reason to speak something into their life. Jesus is living like that. But then... Notice it was very obvious that he had been there for a long time. Jesus is aware of the surroundings. So what would Jesus actually do? Uh, Jesus noticed the needs of others, but Jesus engages the need with a question. That's so important. Not just to see the need, but he engages with the question. He says, do you want to get well? How many of us allow our disability to define us, that this becomes our identity? And when I say disability, I just don't mean something maybe that somebody can see on the outside. What about your weakness? How many of you allow your weakness to define who you are? I mean, for this guy, it has been a long time, and now he's all wrapped up allowing his disability to identify. That's where he's getting his identity at now. He gets all absorbed, self-absorbed about himself. What about you? Do you see yourself through that lens of your weakness? And that's the only way that you can see yourself. And Jesus asked a question which everyone would think, well, of course he wants to get well. Why do you think he's here? No, Jesus knows there's something more going on here. And he doesn't want us, as a Christ follower, to be identified by that weakness, that disability. No, you're a son or you're a daughter of God. And that is where we find our identity, if you're a Christ follower. Well, the man, he responds back to this question. He says, sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while... I'm coming, someone else goes and gets in ahead of me. You see, he is so used to excuses of why he can't. He's so self-absorbed, it says, no, I can't. And he's just kind of resting in that space. Are you? Have you been in a circumstance for so long that you are allowing that to identify who you are? Have you been at a stage of life for so long and it has just been dark that you have lost hope? Jesus offers you hope no matter what situation you find yourself in today. There's hope for you. And no matter how long you have been there, we, you and I cannot lose hope. He's called us to be people of hope. That's, you know, the message of this church. We, we call ourselves Hope Church because he, he calls us to be people of hope, sharing and living and giving a message of hope. 
But do you actually live your life like that? And Jesus just looks at the guy and he just says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got up, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day, now John is so careful to point out this detail. It was on the Sabbath. This is on the Sabbath day. So the man just picks up his mat and he just takes off. And as he takes off, he bumps in to some religious leaders who have been checking the boxes. And he sees that he is carrying this once disabled man carrying his mat and they call him out. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. What are you doing? And what's the guy do? He responds with another excuse. Well, that's what the guy who healed me told me to do. See, that's what happens when you get in that, in that frame of mind for a period of time. It's always somebody else's fault. You're always pointing the finger at somebody else. It's always about blame shifting. It's nothing that you have done. It's somebody else's fault. And this is no different yet in this man's life. And he's pointing the finger and they're like, well, who healed you on the Sabbath? And who would tell you to carry your mat? And do you know what the man's response is? I have no idea. Hold it, what? You've been disabled for 38 years and you didn't take time to learn the man's name of who healed you? Where is your thankfulness? See, the man was so self-absorbed with himself... And his problems, he leaves without even getting Jesus' name. Oh, man. And the religious leaders leave and the man goes on. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus makes sure he's going to cross his path again inside the temple courts this time. And so inside the temple courts, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See that you are well. So it's obviously you're well, right? You're walking around. You're good. But Jesus says, do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, first, let me address this. And I want you to hear me. If you're a Christ follower in here, Jesus is not speaking karma into this guy's life. Okay? Now, if you're not a Christ follower, maybe you're not aware of this. But if you're a Christ follower, you need to be aware that we do not believe in karma. As a Christ follower, here's what karma means it, 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 with the, in the belief system of the Hinduism and Buddhist. Um, this is the definition. Karma is the sum of a person's actions in this and previous states of existence. Viewed as deciding their fate in future existences. There's all kinds of wrong things biblically with that statement. This is why as Christ followers we not, should not be saying, Ooh, that's karma. Ooh, karma over there. Right? No, it's not. We don't... You were uniquely created at, a, at the moment of your conception. And God uniquely made you and he puts inside of you a soul. And the, yes, your soul exists forever, either with God or apart from God in a place that the scriptures call, I mean, they, as they try to describe it, it's torment, it's, it's a gnashing of teeth, it's weeping. It's just this horrible place because God's presence cannot be there. It's a place without God's presence. 
So our souls live forever somewhere, but there's not this kind of like balancing machine that says and, you know, keeps an accounting firm somewhere that says, oh, you've done so many bad things and your good things didn't outweigh. And so now you're going to uh, come back as a dandelion in somebody's yard. Right now, I'm, I'm that that's not biblical. So. Karma? Now, karma as a Christ follower? No. If you're a Christ follower, this is not a thing. Is what you sow is what you reap? Well, now that's a different story. That's a biblical principle. You look in Proverbs. What you sow is what you reap. You look in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians and and Paul says it this way. He says, if you um, sow a generous life, you're going to reap a generous life. So the principle of what you sow and what you reap is True, yes, absolutely. But karma, no. But let's come back um, to what Jesus actually, what was actually Jesus talking about when he said, don't sin anymore. See, Jesus was actually concerned about his spiritual state. Jesus showed up, healed him physically, but he, but to Jesus, it's just not about a person's physical need. It's about their spiritual need. So what would uh, Jesus... Uh, actually do, Jesus cares about the spiritual needs of people. Students, listen. Listen to me. If What would it look like for you to show up into your classroom, whether at college or high school, middle school, wherever you are at, what would it look like for you to show up and be aware of your teacher's needs? Like, if you showed up in your classroom, what, again, if it's your professor, if it's your you know, high school, middle school teacher, elementary school teacher, what if you showed up in your classroom and was just aware and you kind of felt like your teacher was a little bit off today? They seemed a little bit sad, a little bit down. What would it look like for you to walk up to them at the end of class and say, hey, is everything okay with you? And your teacher will probably say something like, why are you asking me that? And you could just respond, well, you just seem a little bit down today. And maybe they would respond. They're not going to tell you everything that's going on in their life. But they would, maybe they would respond, yeah, last night was a really bad night. And they just left it there. <clears throat> you know what you do with that? You respond to your teacher with this. I'm sorry. I'm going to pray for you that you're going to have a better night tonight. And just leave that there. See, that's what Jesus would actually do. Jesus would show up in your workspace and you would notice somebody's a little bit off and you would walk up to them and you would say, is everything okay? You seem a little down. And then they would respond and tell you and your simple response could be, hey, can I just pray for you? I'll be praying for you tonight, but can I pray for you right now? What a difference you could make in somebody else's life because you care about their spiritual needs. Now, what we know is that this man's spiritual need, he didn't go for it. You know how we know this? Because as soon as he found out, as soon as Jesus said to him, you know, don't you stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. um, He is like, hold it. What's your name? Oh, okay. I'll be back. And he takes off. 
And he finds the religious leaders and he's like, hey, I found out his name. His name is Jesus. And they're like, oh, not Jesus. Yes, it was Jesus. So what do they do? They gang up on him. The religious leaders all surround Jesus and they enter into this conversation. And Jesus is trying to explain to them that he really is, yes, the son of God, but also God. We're going to enter into the conversation in verse number 24. Here, to this conversation that's already going on. And he looks at these religious leaders at this point and says, uh, I, uh, Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes, in, uh, believes him who has sent... I'm sorry, let me start over. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under the judgment but has passed from death to life. That's present tense. That's currently. So Jesus is speaking to this religious leader saying, hey, we're all spiritually dead. And it's not until you acknowledge who God is, i.e. me, um, it's not until you acknowledge that, that you actually believe, that you pass from death until life. I don't know if any of you ever watched uh, The Walking Dead when it was on, right? And The Walking Dead, all these dead people walking around, right? This is what Jesus is basically looking at. The Walking Dead got their idea from this, right? Did you know that? Didn't know that. Well, they did. So here, um, here Jesus is saying, you're just like all a bunch of walking dead people. Until you pass from death, to, until you actually believe. And then he goes on in verse 25. He says, truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and is now. It's right here. I'm right in front of you. He says, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. Present tense. That's when you become alive. The moment that you put your faith in the person of Jesus and who he is. It's that moment you pass from death to life. It's that moment that you start really living. That's why those of you who haven't taken that step, who haven't made that profession yet, that's why you feel like, oh, I'm still there. I'm just, something's off. I'm missing something. This is what you are missing. And I wonder if you don't need to just take that step and trust Jesus as your savior. But Jesus, the conversation continues. Look what he goes on and says next. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will. But the will of him who sent me. What? I mean, come on, this is the place we're trying to get to. If you're a Christ follower in the room, this is the place we all are trying to get to. Where we're not so absorbed with ourselves, i.e. the paralyzed man. Where we're not so self-absorbed with our own doings, our own will. But man, when we get up, it's like, God, how do you want to show up in my work today? How do you want to show up in my family today? How do you want to show up as I drive to work, as I go to the store, as I post online? God, what is your will? You see, it's about everything. It's all inclusive. It's what would Jesus actually do? It's like we've got to get our... 
Jesus prayed this for us, and if, in a several, in a few weeks, when we get to John chapter 17, we're going to talk, we're going to look at this prayer that Jesus prayed this for you, that you and I would become one with the Father like He is, so that we can actually do what He did. So, what are three things, three things that we can do to live out a WWJD lifestyle? First is just pray. Get God's perspective that everywhere you show up, it, in your car, on your way to work, you are asking God, what's your perspective on this issue? What's your pers- how should I respond to this email? How should I respond to this post? It's you are continuing to try and get God's perspective. That comes through a conversation. That's what prayer is. Secondly, you have to give it time. You have to have time to be transformed. It takes time. It's not like some magic potion thing that just like, and then because you know why? You were dead carrying around a lot of luggage in your life. You've, you've accumulated a lot of junk in your life. And maybe you are a Christ follower and you are carrying around the idea of karma. And you didn't see anything wrong with that because you just carried that with you when you made your profession to Christ. You didn't know any better. Well, now you do, right? And now um, you allow Allow time for God to bring transformation. So you've got to give time for God to bring change in your life. But I also mean this in another way. Because some of you, what your trigger is, is anger. Something, something triggers you, whatever that is, it triggers you. And when you start to feel your blood pressure rise, when you start to feel, you know, that uh, face turning red, uh, your heart starts beating a little bit faster, and, you know, that person has said that, and you're like, uh, uh, you know, you know what you got to do? Give time to escalate, to, to de-escalate. You actually need to give time to de-escalate. Isn't it amazing how that jerk of a driver in front of you or behind you brings out the jerk inside of you. <laughs> Isn't this true? Come on. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't get triggered. This is an area where I'm working on it, right? And a few weeks ago, this happened to me. There's crazy construction on 37. It's the stupidest path, path, you know, traffic pattern in the entire world. And there's somebody like just blowing their horn at me. And I am like... What would Jesus actually do, Rick? Right? And so I just, I, I'm trying to recognize that. And you know what? My new thing is, I just smile and I wave now. I wave with all five of my fingers, okay? Just making sure you know that. I just wave. And I don't, no, maybe sometimes that makes them more angry because you should see them after that. They're like, no, 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 no. But hey, it, it's, it's working for me, right? I've got to give time to de-escalate, to ask what would Jesus actually do. Now, the, the, the third thing is communal, uh, continual communion with the Father. That this actually becomes your posture in every way. Where it doesn't matter what line you're in or if you're at home in silence. It's just a continual communing with the Father. And if we can get this, if we can get this, then... Man, this will change. This will help us to actually respond the way that Jesus responded. Sometimes, sometimes we get it wrong. Look at this. Look what happened in verse 39. Now, he's talking to religious people. He leans in here and he says, you pour over the scriptures. Good thing. It's a good thing. They're pouring over the scriptures. Their scriptures was the Torah, was the prophets. They had that. They, they were so absorbed 
in the scriptures. They could quote, you know, we have memory verses, we have a plan, right? They could quote verse after verse. He says to them, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. That somehow if you can just check off enough of the boxes, that that is what will actually bring you life. That that would bring you freedom. And he says, yet they testify. You see, this is, this is a very sobering thought for every Christ follower. Because you know why? They thought they were doing what the scriptures thought. They taught. This is so sobering for me. Because what if I have misinterpreted the scripture? And have there been times? Absolutely I have. I, th- I think back into my uh, younger uh, years and think about the way that I would read a phrase or a verse. I'd be like, yeah, that's what that means. And then I, I look back and I think, oh my gosh. I so missed the point. And that's what Jesus is telling them. You've missed the point. He says, no, the scriptures testify about me, Jesus, the Messiah. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Why? Because Jesus is where we find the life. Not the Bible. The Bible does not give us life. The Bible points to the Messiah, the one who does give us life. That's where they have missed the point. And he says, for if you believed in Moses, and he brings up their hero who wrote the first five of the Torah, Um, He says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. But if you don't believe what Moses wrote, how will you believe my words? Now, is Jesus somehow discrediting the Old Testament? Absolutely not. He is saying, I've come here to fulfill this very life. See, the, the law, the Torah, the prophecies all point to me. The, the law shows us that there is no way to escape our sin except through the person of Jesus. Here's the way the Apostle Paul put it. Is there a conflict then between God's law, the Old Testament, and God's promise? The promises of the Messiah, the Savior, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. And the the obvious point is we can't be made right with God by obeying the Scriptures. But the Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. Have you ever felt like you're a prisoner? We're all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. This is where you'll find freedom today. In the person of Jesus. Now some of you have found freedom from your sin. Uh, It's been forgiven. You have received that. But you are still stuck. And I want to say to you, it's in Jesus that you will find freedom today. So... I want to all take out our connection card. That connection card's in the chair in front of you. Look at that very first next step. Here's what it says. It says, I acknowledge my need for a Savior and invite Jesus into my life. If, that's, if you have never taken that first step, that initial step to receive Jesus as your Savior, that's the first thing that you need to do and experience the freedom of Jesus. Would you put your name on there? Um, Put your phone number on there. We'd love to call you and have a conversation around that. Um, You take these connection cards. You're going to put them in the offering boxes in the back of this room. If you're online, they automatically come uh, to us. The other next step is for Christ followers. This is for those of you who have already placed your faith and trust in Jesus. 
Here's what you would say. To help me focus on God's perspective, I will increase my time spent praying and meditating on His Word while asking, what would Jesus actually do? Because this takes time. If you're ever going to understand what Jesus would do, it's going to take time for you to spend spending with Him, getting His perspective. So, I'm asking you to pray for me in this way. Will, will you allow me to pray for you? Just put, give us your name. And maybe you're going through something very specific. And you're like, Rick, would you actually pray about this? Our whole team uh, this coming week will be praying for you. And as a specific as you give us on those uh, connection cards. But we'd love to do that. Now, the last one says this. I will give God time to work in me as I practice de-escalating this very week. Maybe you need to identify the triggers. You need to identify what sets you off. Why is it when your spouse talks to you like that or says that or, you know, just asks you, you know, whatever, whatever, what, whatever it is, you need to identify it. And then you need to bring it to God and say, God, help me. I want to respond like you, Jesus, like you would actually do. So, Jesus, we can't do this without your help. Please come and help us. We pray this in your name. Amen.